TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Better Living, a show that focuses on people and organizations making an impact in Dallas, Fort Worth, and in North Texas. I'm your host, Chris Arnold of 105.3 The Fan. And joining us this morning is Miss Julia Alcantara. Did I say that properly, Julia? That's very close. It's it's a, actually a city in Spain pronounced Alcantara. Ah, Julia Alcantara. <laughs> very nice. <laughs> Julia, I'm so glad so you're joining us this morning. You are the founder and artistic director of Flamenco Fever, and there is a residency about to happen in April all the way through May at the Latino Cultural Center in Dallas. Please tell us what's going on because I'm so excited about this. Oh, sure. Um, I'd love to. Uh, we have done the Spring Flamenco Residency four years in a row, and um, this year it's longer than ever. It started off as a, as a month long, and now it's two months long. The kickoff is uh, next weekend, or April 9th, at the Latino Cultural Center. Mm-hmm. And the following that concert, there's going to be a series of classes in singing, guitar, percussion, and, of course, dance um, in two different locations. One, I have a studio here in Oak Cliff where Flamenco Fever is based. Mm -hmm. And also we have a studio up in North Dallas where we teach classes um, on Saturday afternoon. So we use both locations to better service the the community. And uh, we just want everybody to know about what we're doing. Well, let me give you your props first of all because... Those who don't know about you, you've produced quality entertainment for DIFA, the Margarita Ball, uh, 30 Day Run at the State Fair, Texas. Uh, you, for 12 years, you managed the Dragons Halloween Ball that was featured in Dallas Morning News, The Observer, Dean Magazine, The Advocate, on Univision, Telemundo, Good Morning <laughs> Texas, the Discovery Channel. You have been in the game for a minute and you've succeeded. I understand you've even done some things at the World Cup. That's true. We danced for the king and queen of Spain and the Cotton Bowl. Uh, in, uh, Spain versus South Korea was that game. I was at that Very game. Exciting. It was 100 degrees. How did you, how did you not <laughs> melt? It was, I was there. I couldn't believe how hot it was. And everybody that was there was like, everybody's just hanging on because it was so hot. And you're out there dancing. Yeah, well, it's part of the, part of the game, right? If, mm-hmm. you're, if you're a pro, it's, it's not always ideal, but... We make it happen. Yes, and flamenco dancing is a worldwide worldwide dance. Can you talk about how you got into it? I don't know what age you were and how it's caught on and, and the fact that it is a worldwide cultural phenomenon. 
It is, and uh, we're actually, uh, I just got done writing a grant for a humanities project where we were actually going to talk about the the history of flamenco and how it arrived in the United States, because flamenco is originally from Spain. Correct. And um, so when, uh, in the 1500s, uh, the gypsies had been just arrived in the Iberian Peninsula. They left India mm-hmm. to escape oppression and genocide at about 1000 AD, and it took about 500 years for them to travel across northern Africa and eastern Europe and to arrive in Spain, where they were finally welcomed and treated uh, pretty well, which um, they had suffered a lot, a lot on their way. And um, But then they... King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella decided that they wanted everyone to be Catholic, and then came the famous Spanish Inquisition. Oh, which, yeah. Which ca- caused another wave of oppression that combined the gypsies, the Jews, and the Moors, which were all residing in Spain at the time, into the same um, category because mm-hmm. they weren't Catholic. And in their oppression, and in a very sad and and dark time in the 1500s, the three cultures blended their music into what was is called the deep song. And that when you listen to flamenco music, it has that eastern sound. Mm-hmm. Or the singing is kind of it doesn't sound like Western music. It's got uh, long time signatures, 12 beats and longer. And um, so they combined their music, sort of like the the slaves used the blues and jazz sure. in the United States to overcome their uh, their sadness. Mm-hmm. Flamenco became a, a healing art form where the these people who were suffering greatly could use music to sort of overcome their uh, their sadness and their oppression, their isolation. So um, this is this is really good because I, yeah, I'm a huge history person. And I know all about the Spanish Inquisition. And again, what you're saying makes so much sense. And like you said, people find solace in so many different ways. Uh And I did not know that about flamenco dancing. Yes. And you can really see it when you when you witness it. I just know there's a story involved to it. You know, the, Uh the dances are all about a story. Right. So there, from that Cante Hondo, the, eventually, 500 years later, the Spanish Inquisition ended. Mm-hmm. And um, around the turn of the century, and the music was developing in the, in the dark places where these people had, were, were hiding in the caves of Sacramonte, which is in Granada, Spain, um, and in the taverns. And, the, and the, when, as people you know, came out, they started to didn't have happier dances and, and put more dancing. It actually just started as music, and then they added the guitar, and the dance was the last element to become, that uh, has become the signature and most in, uh, attractive part of, of the art form, but it really is a, is a whole genre of music on its own and than it was before we people started dancing to it. And um, then it started to come out of the caves. A poet by the name of Garcia Lorca um, made it more popular. He started telling people about it and encouraging more public performances, and people started getting involved. And then um, then they had the Spanish Revolution. Right. And Franco was, you know, the, leading the, the revolution. Well, he ended up taking over Spain and being even worse than the people from before. Oh, my, yeah. <laughs> Almost a, like mm-hmm. a Castro situation. And, um, 
and they were cast throwing artists in jail, and they didn't like flamenco, and they were a lot of artists were uh, forced to leave Spain in order to 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 uh, continue their careers. So they, right. that is when flamenco really got out of of the country where it was uh, the or, or where it originated, and ended up in South America and in New York, and um, spawned a whole new group of, of uh, performers that was um, outside of out, the Iberian Peninsula, outside of Europe. So, Julia, you graduated from the National Institute of Flamenco, and I'm like I said, you're a connoisseur of uh, not only can you flamenco, but you know the history, and you're the connoisseur. I've seen it in so many great movies. Can uh-huh. you talk about some of the movies that it has been in? You may not be able to know it off the top of your head, but I'm, I'm sure you do, because like, it's so... It's so enrapturing. It's like when you see somebody flamingo dance, you see people uh-huh. dancing like that. It's like, wow. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's very, um, it's very intense because of each song does, it's not necessarily a story, but it has a meaning that's being interpreted by the artist that you're watching perform it. Mm-hmm. And so the, each dancer and each guitarist and each singer kind of takes a theme, like a jazz player might take summertime. Mm-hmm and make their own version of that song. And they use certain cues and, and certain you know elements that are known for the song, and then they make it their own. And so each person is making a very personal interpretation of what, of what the dance of solitude or the dance of death or the dance of joy or, um, you know, very, there's hundreds of types of songs and dances uh, that make up the genre of flamenco. It's not just one thing. So they say it takes about 10 years to actually become a flamenco dancer, and that's serious study, um, not just once a week or a couple times a month. Um, people dedicate their lives to this thing, which is why we call our nonprofit Flamenco Fever, mm-hmm. uh, because people see it and they just get enthralled and they can't forget it. And some people get so enamored with it that they just want to do it and dedicate their lives to it. And those are the kind of people that we're bringing to Dallas to uh, to share this art form. Let me talk about you just a little bit more because I think your life is just amazing. Now, mm-hmm. you, you study choreography, singing, and you have toured all over the country, 90 cities, mm-hmm. and you've performed with symphony orchestras as well. And Can you talk about how, you know, this performance, you know, the flamenco, it transcends so many, just like jazz you were, you were comparing uh-huh. it to, and how you've traveled and how this one genre has kind of changed your life because that is the life that you live now. It is, and we'll get, I'll answer your, your movie question because we got a little sidetracked. Oh, yeah. um, the, uh, the way that I got into flamenco was actually um, a guitarist that I was dating back in my early 20s um, <clears throat> was knew a little bit about flamenco, and I was already into dancing and drumming and and kind of in a more bohemian style. Um, but he saw me dancing with this big scarf, and he was like, you have got to see flamenco. He says, you, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. And I was like, really? What is it? And he's like, I can't, I'm not going to explain it to you. You just need to, we're going to find this movie, and, and I'm going to show it to you. So we searched all over town there's one blockbuster location that had this particular film by a director named carlos saura and carlos saura is a very famous spanish uh, film producer that loves flamenco and has made a whole series i think there's six films or maybe more maybe Mm -hmm. seven 
about flamenco, and they are fantastic. So if, you, if you're interested, you can find them probably. Uh, I think they're on YouTube even for free. You can look them up and cast these films on your um, television and watch sure. them at home. Uh, the movie that I saw first was called El Amor Brujo, which means Love the Magician. The movie was just beautiful, and I was instantly obsessed. I kept the movie for weeks. I was dancing around the living room. I watched it over and over and um, started asking everywhere, uh, where can I find a flamenco teacher? And um, finally, it took me months to find to find the person, and it was really, uh, really great when I did. And I took, it was Conte de Loyo. I started taking with her here in Dallas and took every class she had for uh, three years and learned very quickly, which I was lucky that I loved it and had an affinity for it. Sure. <laughs> Some people love it, and it's just because uh, it's so complicated. Um, it's, it's pretty uh, difficult to learn. It's actually touted by many dancers as the most difficult dance in the world. Yes, that's what they all say. Mm-hmm. Because so. it's so... It, and plus you're tapping, and plus you're the, uh-huh. the, the guitars and... The passion you got to show some. You're almost acting as well, right? Well, yes, because you're you're embodying the particular song that we talked about. So, um, my mother passed away in 2019, and I danced. Condolences. I uh, danced Cecilia. I created a piece around her memory that mm-hmm. um, was dedicated to victims of cancer, and it tell, tells a whole story of me by myself, and then all these people joined me that have shared this this sorrow, and um, we finish with this triumphant ending, and the you know, singer's playing loud, and the guitarist is screaming, Viva tu madre! Viva tu madre! And then we have a big break, and then it goes back to this kind of sad falsetta on the guitar, and all the other dancers leave, and it's, and it's just me again all alone. And um, it's a very powerful piece, and it's my interpretation of that particular um, particular song that's very personal to me. Mm-hmm. And um, everybody that's on the stage knows the reason why we're dancing it, and they have their own interpretation and the reason why, and they dig deep inside. Uh, the performers are bearing their souls to the to the audience, and the singers as well, and the guitarists, boy, they have a lot on their mind because they have to, they have to play for the singer and the dancer and but they play beautiful melodies and they spend decades learning to play flamenco guitar and and it becomes the mixture because uh is very very powerful because that's actually being created before your eyes there's there's some choreographical elements that are used and and um, repeated through different songs to make transitions and to each song follows kind of a structure, mm-hmm. and the dancer actually leads the musicians through the dance, through the structure of the song. So wow. one of the things that, that makes it really exciting is that uh, flamenco is meant to be improvised, much like jazz, mm-hmm. right? And blues, too. You sure. have the kind of you gotta outline feel it. You've got to feel it, yeah. Right, so you have this way of like... You don't have to be so stiff and stuck to this choreography. Especially on a solo dance like that, the soloist is able to change. They can speed up. They can slow down. They can stop. They could add something that wasn't there. Or the guitarist, too, you know, might play something slightly different because of the way he feels or the lighting is or the way it is that day. And so because you have this language, flamenco is really a language, right. where you're able to communicate with the musicians um, through your body movements. 
And because you're able, that's the hardest part to learn, the steps you can learn, but to be able to, to improvise and use the structure the way it was originally uh, developed is one of the most difficult things, flamenco communication. And so that is a whole other class in itself that um, teaches people how to, to keep it fresh and to be able to do something different and to not be locked into the choreography. It also enables you to um, walk into it uh, like they do in Spain. They don't rehearse a mm-hmm. lot of the times. They just walk into the show. They say, mm-hmm. I'm going to dance Soleil Probluteus, and they say, okay, and they walk on stage, and they'll do the whole thing, and it'll look like they've rehearsed it for months. Wow. But just like you said, it's just like jazz. It's like when, yeah. once you get a little vibe going and all of a sudden the audience just happened to be there and like, wow, I was there and I saw some amazing things happen spontaneously. Yes, and people are moved by that. They yes. feel the energy that's happening and the music is being created live right there. It's not canned. It's mm-hmm. not. And it gives. It has this really, it has this energy that is overwhelming. Some people are brought to tears. Yeah. of joy or tears of sadness or they, you know, the people, and I've gr- a grown man in the audience come up to me and say, you just ripped my heart from my chest. You know, they're so <laughs> moved. Yeah. But because we're, we're healed, we're working through our pain and we end up usually in a triumphant um, finale that where we've overcome and worked through it. It's sort of like a meditation and the audience goes on that journey with us and they are healed through the, uh, through the performance. And that's what I love about flamenco, and that's the real reason why um, why I do what I do and work so hard. Uh, it's not for the money. <laughs> right, yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it is to exactly. share this beauty with, uh, with the community. Sure, it's, it's like educators. They're not doing this for the money. You cannot pay educators enough money. Mm-hmm. They do it on the joy of working with the people and like, like, not just the people, but the kids and the kids come back and you educate people and they learn. And, and plus the gratification of like you've inspired some kind of you've inspired people some kind of way. Right. Uh huh. Yeah. And the students um, that are in the studio, they feel it, too. One, yeah. one girl came. The, you know, most dance studios are using recorded music or they might have a pianist in a, in a ballet studio if mm-hmm. you're lucky. But um, we have when we do the residency, we get to bring in music for for the classes. So it's uh, some people are overwhelmed the first time they're in a dance studio and hear somebody singing and playing the guitar for the dance, com- composing the music there in the studio for the choreography that we're performing, and they get overwhelmed, brought to tears in the studio because it's so beautiful um, what they're doing, and you're and they're right there in front of you and they're playing for you. Yeah. You know, and it's really a team effort. People play palmas and give, they say ole and encourage each other. And, and uh, so if you're not dancing, you're still participating by clapping along and accompanying the dancer and helping them uh, feel supported and creating the music. Everybody makes the music for each other as they take turns on the, um, in the circle or as the focal point. And, uh, and it's all, there's a community that's, that's there that is um, also developed. Julia, by the way, Julia is the uh, founder, artistic director of Flamingo Fever. The spring Flamingo residency begins next month in April, and it will continue all the I say next month. It's already April, uh, April all the way through through May. And, you know, in radio, I love radio because we're we're able to paint pictures. Now, I want to show you your love, but I also want to paint some pictures because I know people are enjoying this conversation. And I'm looking at you just tell me if I'm 
like putting you up too high on a pedestal. Oh, but what yeah. you the way you're talking, you remind me of like a Debbie Allen or oh. Jennifer Lopez oh. because these are performers and 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 not just performers but singers and dancers and directors and 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 teachers and they know their craft so well and, and the main thing is they're dancers and and when I think about you were talking about the movies that you saw, which inspired you to get into this so so deeply, I I, I want to like compare some of these movies that like West Side Story or Grease, but this Flamingo. Am I wrong? Tell me tell me the pluses and minuses of my comparisons here. Well, I'm very flattered to be compared with any any of those people, and I. If, well, your um, story's the same; it's just on a different <laughs> level, you know. Oh well, Flamingo is is has always been subversive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being it coming from the caves of Sacramento in Spain and the gypsies and all the mystery that's surrounded by that and the, yeah. and the mystery, and you can feel it. It's an intense art form. It's not made for everybody, but it's beautiful and it's sexy and it's powerful and it's it's got really hard hitting the rhythms and the drumming. I mean, it's got that intensity of like heavy metal mm-hmm. with the sophistication of Mozart and then the the steamy sensuality of of tango you know i mm-hmm. you know if i had to describe it and i really encourage people to go on our website is flamencofever.org and there you can find out more about the uh, our organization there are photos and videos and event information for all the things that are going to be happening over the next couple of months and or just look on youtube and or look up carlos Sara's films and there's just it's really impressive what uh, he's captured there okay and so we have our series of performances um, coming up, so mm-hmm. we'll be in Plano on uh, April 7th. We'll be at the Turkish Cafe and Lounge for anybody that lives up north. We try to service the whole Metroplex. Sure. Um, we're in Oak Cliff, but that is a wonderful venue. If you if you live in Plano or Frisco, um, the Turkish Cafe is just one of the coolest places up there. It's got a 5,000-square-foot nice. patio with lanterns from the ceiling and i mean you feel like you've gone to turkey <laughs> when you go there they have belly dancing and international brazilian night russian night mm-hmm. djs um, all kinds of uh, cool events there and we are one of them so we're going to do a show um thursday april 7th it starts at 8 p.m and you can get the tickets online at flamencofever.org slash purchase um along with our latino cultural center show which is uh Saturday, April 9th, also Yes, next weekend. You, you tell me, tell us more about this, because I understand these performers are from Argentina, and this is the first Texas appearance for one of them. That's true. Um, Mariano Mancella is, a, is an incredible singer and guitarist, and he's very accomplished. He's been all over the world, uh, touring all over Europe and Spain and Italy, and um, he is, a, but he is a native of uh, Buenos Aires, which has a history, if you know the history there. It's, oh, yeah. Um, a mixture of Spanish and Italian. A vida. Everybody knows a vida. Yes. And so they have a very, very high quality flamenco scene in, in Argentina, and they are super cool and super fun people. And this will be Mariano's fourth trip to Dallas. Mm. And he's, a, he's excellent because he sings and plays, and we can get, uh, get a lot done with a smaller group of people and make our uh, grant money and sponsor money go further sure. with, uh, with somebody like him. And we can afford to do restaurant shows private parties, and things like that for the Flamenco de Mayo program. So he's one of our favorite artists to bring because he's so versatile. 
and uh, and really fits into what we're trying to do, which is a sort of a barrage of flamenco all over mm-hmm. DFW. Um, during that time that he's here, we're going to bring three guest artists. The first one is um, also from Argentina, and she's the one that has not been here before. Her name is Sol, and they call her a lot of, there's a lot of flamenco nicknames, La Argentinita. And she is an internationally awarded choreographer and dancer. She's won awards in Spain, mm-hmm. which is not easy to do. They don't right. take those foreigners lightly. Um, and she has been awarded several awards in New York City. And, um, you know, so she is a, a world-class artist that's coming here to Dallas. She's going to be teaching workshops while she's here um, this weekend. She'll be... Uh, She'll be teaching my students, and it is open. We have classes open to uh, to people that want to learn on on all levels, from beginner to intermediate and advanced. So her, she has two levels of workshop happening at the same time. She's going to be here performing. So she, we're very excited to to have her here in Dallas. And then later on in the beginning of May, we're having another artist from Argentina. Um, his name is Jorge Robledo, and he's a male dancer. Mm-hmm that um, I've worked with many times, and he's been having some personal, taking some personal time, so he hasn't been here for a few years with some things he was dealing with in his in his world, but he is uh, out and ready to come back to Dallas and nice. super excited to be here. So he's going to be here the entire month of May, and he is taking over all of my dance classes and teaching all of my students. He's going to have five classes a week and shows all over the city. Um, the time that he is here, we're doing festivals, school shows, okay. churches. We have, uh, we're actually participants in a program called CAP, and uh, that's through the Office of Arts and Culture. Um, it's called DallasCulture.org, I believe, is their website. And you can uh, look on their website for CAP programming. And if you have a school or church in, uh, in Dallas County, you can apply for a free performance from uh, the artist from Flamenco Fever um, if, by making an application there and seeing if it fits your um, if you fit into their criteria they will actually pay for us to perform for you oh nice so if you are a teacher we want to help the uh, teachers in uh, in Dallas that are often don't have a budget for for cool programs like this please write the um, Office of Arts and Culture uh, you can ask for Gerardo Robles or Rhonda Ivory both run that program, and you can get a free performance for Cinco de Mayo for your school or a lecture demonstration where we come and talk about the history of flamenco and show the castanets and the fans and the shawls and the and how um, and the beautiful art form for the kids that uh, maybe don't all always have money for that kind of programming. This is so amazing! You got the residency performances, the workshops, the classes, all the way now through. May 31st, is this like the busiest time of the year for you, or is this just special? Well, it's this is a program that, that, that I developed because okay. uh, flamenco is so difficult. We really, we don't have hardly any flamenco musicians. There are no singers, and there is only one guitarist that plays for dance in Dallas, Texas. And um, so it makes that, that makes it impossible for us to do regular programming with authentic live music. A lot of the people that you see dancing will have um, recorded music just because it's mm-hmm. so expensive to bring in a guitarist or a singer that um, they can't afford it. And, right. uh, and so I learned a long time ago that if I buy their ticket one time and then work them all week or keep them for two weeks, if I, uh, then I can 
spread the cost of having them here over several different venues. Sure. And, and more people more get to see and share the greatness of that artist. That's right. So we want everybody to see flamenco and want everybody to see the best flamenco that we can afford to present for them. And, um, and so, yeah, so it's just kind of grown and grown. And through the help of the city of Dallas and Visit Dallas sponsors, Flamenco de Mayo, um, they are a wonderful organization that's helped us put, put all this together and our annual festival, which is in the fall. So I'm uh, developing these two programs, which are getting longer and longer. I'd like for them to go an entire three months, the spring residency in the fall, in the spring. <laughs> Me. The spring, spring and the fall residencies, the yes, both of them. fall residency in the fall, which overlaps with Hispanic Heritage Month. Yes. So during Hispanic Heritage Month, we have people here, again, that are available to do these affordable, top-quality and uh, programming at prices that people can afford uh, to see and restaurant shows and school shows and festivals and things like that. So well, we're going uh, we to have have yeah, gonna have to have you on again. Yeah, we're going to have to have you on again this fall just to talk oh, about that'd it. That'd be fantastic. We should have the guitarist play for you. Oh, that would be amazing. In the studio and have them sing some music for that you. That would be amazing. Yeah. And even the dancers, we could do dancing and you can uh, share the, the sound of the music. It's very unique. Um, we do have one more event that I want to make sure that we uh, talk about. Sure. That is the culmination of everything that we're doing this spring. Um, it's called Paella y Pasión. Mm-hmm. And this is a celebration of the culinary and cultural arts of Spain. Did we you have, say food? Yes. <laughs> Paella is yes. so delicious. If you've never had it, it's very healthy. It's a rice dish, um, generally with um, seafood, but we also make vegetarian, and we have um, chicken, and you can put beef and in them, and we have uh, various chefs that come out. This is going to be held in Bishop Arts on Memorial Day weekend, mm-hmm. Sunday, May 29th at 1 in the afternoon. We're going to have this incredible extravaganza where we have um, five or six people cooking huge pans of paella. They're three and four feet across. Nice. And you can see them. It's a cooking demonstration. So you come there, you watch them make the food, and then you get to eat it. Um, We have sangria and beer for sale. And then we have a stage, an open stage for local performers. Um, We showcase the other, uh, uh, other flamenco studios here in Dallas so that they can promote their classes. Um, I, I can't teach everybody, so it only makes sense that people, and there's a studio in Rockwall, there's a studio in Carrollton, um, there's uh, one here, there's, there's other ones around the, around the D, uh, DFW and even in Fort Worth. And so we invite them to come out and do a little 15-minute presentation to showcase their studio. And so you get to see everybody that's local, and if you're looking for classes, then that's a great place because um, everybody will be there to, uh, you can find a, somebody, a studio that fits your needs, your level of dance, and what you want to learn, and see examples. And then we have live music, and it's very festive, people dress up, you get, um, we have to, uh, fashion accessories for sale, fans and flowers and shawls and things like that for the audience can get in the um, get in the uh, mood, mm-hmm. and um, it is a lot of fun. So I hope that uh, you can find that information at flamencofever.org. There's an event uh, drop down with a Paella Passion. You can find about that, or check our, our uh, Facebook page, which is the Oak Cliff Flamenco Festival on Facebook. Fantastic. Thank you, Julia. And joining us now is Mr. David C. Williams. David, how are you doing? 
Doing well, Chris. Thanks for having me on. I'm so glad to have you on because I've been meaning to talk to you. First of all, you blow my mind, everything about you. I've only talked to you on the phone briefly. But solar robots, STEM research, all the different techniques and outcomes of hyper-automation strategies. <laughs> let's, let's just start from yeah. there. First of all, you're a scientist, you're an engineer, but you're much more than that. You can even talk about the met- metaverse. <laughs> well, we might leave that to Zuckerberg. <laughs> well, let's start with you first. You're here in Dallas, and you've touched on so many different things. Uh, you've you've been awarded so many awards, Black Engineer of the Year Award in 2021. I could go on and on and on. Tech Mentor Tuesday is a thing that you started with kids. Let's start with how you grew up and when did you become involved and in, in thought so much about science? Yeah, so um happy to, to share. I um I'm a Dallas native. I grew up, I was born in South Dallas. Okay. Um and that's South Dallas near Fair Park, not South of Dallas. Um I um come from very humble beginnings. My mm-hmm. father, uh, I lost my father very young. Uh, he committed suicide when I was eight. Um, but my mother and my father as well, before he passed, um, they both encouraged me to be creative and they um, stimulated my creativity. They would take me to the library and encourage me to get an extra book every week. And I would read an extra book every week. Um, things that I would tinker with at home, um, they were proud of and they weren't always upset if I, you know, broke something. And over the years, I just refused to let that creativity die. It's kind of like the um, Toys R Us commercial. I don't want to grow up mm-hmm. being a Toys R Us kid. Yeah. And that creativity uh, with what I saw my mother going through, I, you know, many of us who come from humble beginnings can see our parents and loved ones, guardians, uh, make a dollar out of 15 cents. Well, if a CFO were to make a dollar out of 15 cents for just one or two quarters, that CFO would be CEO. Because that's a 600% return on investment. And I've watched my mother make ends meet. And so when I go to work, I don't leave those transferable skills in the car. I take them into the office building with me. And I use those things that my mother and family taught me to be creative and innovative and come up with solutions for corporate America. So it's, it's almost mind boggling. Like you said, you started right there in South Dallas, sunny South Dallas where the sun always shines. Sunny South Dallas. That's right. And you just had a dream that you're going to do more. And it was all about, okay, let's think outside the box here. And, and then you get into technology. So where did you go to college? Where did you go to school? And when did you start yeah. thinking about solar and solar robots, solar energy, all of this? Yeah, so I went to Dallas Baptist University. I am a true native of Dallas. Look at DBU um, also, over there by the lake. Right. I also um, uh, attended a lot of community colleges just to save some money. Mm-hmm. Um, so shout out to DCCCD. Um, but So you didn't have to go off to Stanford just to learn this? No. You didn't have to no, go to no, MIT my, just to learn this. You learned this in Dallas. That is correct. That is correct. I have um I have some friends from MIT, um, and we talk technology all the time. And um 
you would be surprised how the conversation flows because it's not like one person teaching the other. We're both teaching and learning from each other. Mm -hmm. But uh, for me, the way it started was very non-traditional. And I started off very low um, working at AT AT&T and, you know, at the bottom of the totem pole, as they say. And I worked in a network organization and I, you know how it is when you do a job, you learn the job. And at some point you're able to do the job with one hand. And then with the other hand, you can do something else. And sometimes people just, you know, retire in place or they watch TV or they chill or whatever. Well, for me, when I learned how to do the job good enough that I could do it with just one hand, with the other hand, I learned how to um, improve the job. And so the, the work list that I would work on would be 50, 60 pages. I figured out how to write just a few simple macros so I could get through those 50, 60 pages faster than anyone. And so I was the fastest person in our department. Well, about a week later, I put all those macros on everyone's computer, and now we have the fastest department in the country. And that was the very beginning of me starting my journey in innovation and automation. Okay, so automation. Sometimes it's mind-boggling for people to conceive, right? And one of your... Mm -hmm. Your favorite things is to if you can you can achieve if you can conceive it you can achieve it. So that's right. I know you want to share this knowledge with kids, and that's why you came up with Tech Mentor Tuesdays. But can you talk about how you went from AT and T to where you are now, especially with working with solar energy? And then we're going to get into these solar robots because this is mind blowing. Yeah, right? yeah. So when um, twenty twenty hit. Um, and the pandemic, um, there was an outbreak of the COVID-19. In the right. United States. It changed the world. Right. Changed everything. And so I worked at AT- work at AT&T. And at the time when the federal government mandated that everyone shelter in place, the FCC regulates all of the phone companies, all the telecommunication companies. And so the FCC said, well, that's fine. You can go home, but you can't see a credit card number. You can't see a date of birth, a social security number, anything like that. Well, that means that you can't take payments and you can't make sales, right? If you ever want to put a company out of business, stop taking payments, stop making sales. Right. And so it was a pretty big issue. And so um, in about five weeks, I was able to deploy, working with a, a team of folks, uh, collaborating with them, able to invent and deploy a solution that enabled about 40,000 people to be able to work from home securely during the pandemic. 40,000 people touch about 800,000 people a day. Imagine how many businesses needed to get cell phones at that moment in time. How many hospitals, how many schools, how many law offices. Mm -hmm. So it was a really critical situation. Um, And I'm glad I was able to be on the front row of that and, and help come up with a solution to, to solve for it. Once I did that, I uh, was very grateful. I received uh, the legacy award at the black engineer of the year, black engineer of the year, global competitiveness conference for 2021. Um, when I received that award, I, I didn't want to just let it sit on the shelf and get dusty. So let's go do something with this. And so I partnered with urban specialists, mm-hmm. uh, which is a community engagement group organization and we started Tech Mentor Tuesdays. And so we would hold these solar robot workshops um, in the hood, right? We went to Fraser Court, uh, Oak Hollow, and a bunch of other places. And so um, 
we would talk about how solar energy works, how it was invented, how solar cells work, and then we have group exercises with the students and children there, and we build solar robots right there on the spot. Wait a minute. Wait, so slow down. Slow down, David. So this is the good part. Everything you're saying, I swear it is so mind-blowing, especially you're talking about doing this in South Dallas. You're an automation innovator, and you're talking about solar robots and Fraser Cords in sunny South Dallas. Yeah. So how were people reacting when you said, we're going to take bring in some solar robots? Oh, man. So originally... <laughs> Originally, we, we, we went to places that I felt like um, I, I felt like no one would tell us no. I wasn't sure how it was going to be received, but I was right. like, well, I, I know if I go to the hood of the hood, they won't tell us no. They won't reject Exactly. It. They're going to re- be receptive because it's something new, it's innovative, cool. and it's like, okay, yeah, l- l- try it right here. You, you, we'll let you try it right here, exactly. as opposed to maybe going, oh, I don't know, let's not even – Say Texas, let's say in, in Hollywood or New York City or, exactly. you know, or, you know, exactly. Beverly Hills where they've got money. But they're like, ah, that's a good idea. But, uh, we're, you know, let's right. see some let's see. Let's see some history on it, you know, or some results or some. Yeah, exactly. correct. And so and so we started there. And um, I remember what very early on, man, this was a very touching moment. There was a, when we do when we have these, they last for two or three hours. We bring pizza and all sorts of stuff, water and Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, There's this one little girl, she was 11 years old, and we're working on this robot together, and she just did not want to give it up. It was time to go get pizza. It was time to eat. She would not stop. And she stayed focused on that, at least while I was working with it, for like 45 minutes beyond the time that she was supposed to go get pizza. People say that children have a short attention span. I don't believe that. It's just that you have to be able to tap into what they're interested in. Exactly. And then they go down the rabbit hole, and guess what? It's three or four hours later. Just like TikTok, Facebook, Instagram. We We can argue and debate about it all we want. But look, those are the tools of the future. Okay? Now, Mm -hmm. you know, I I talk to kids all the time. Look, it's cool to sit on Facebook or Instagram. I don't even get on Facebook anymore. No, that's the grandparents, yeah. TikTok, right, and and do what you do. But don't miss the fact that you're working, you're playing in one of the most productive business models on the planet. You're playing in one of the most creative technology platforms on the planet. Don't miss that part. Have fun, but don't miss the fact that you're playing in a very fertile ground. It has a lot of harvest, even for you and your young mind. In other words, you right. can monetize the things that you enjoy. Exactly. Exactly. Right. But you have to be about your business, right? When we see the little young kids, 13, 14 years old, and they hit a million dollars or a million followers or whatever mm-hmm. they've done, um, and it looks fun, what you don't see is all the work that goes behind it. Exactly. So we see the videos and the content and all that, but how did that how did those rabbit ears get on that cat jumping from the couch to the refrigerator? How did the background change from one thing to right? There's, there's, you can have fun, but you can also learn how to use that as more than just uh, a toy. You can use it as a tool. Exactly. In fact, 
we, we know we know on social media they call them innov- excuse me they call them influencers. Well, guess what? A lot of them are innovators, and innovators Correct. actually change the world. Exactly. And so let let me keep going down this path with you. Yes. That's very point. Working with these young minds, um, what we'll do is we'll build these solar robots. And once we build them, we race them against each other, one group versus another. And sometimes we may have 10 groups, five kids in each group. So, you know, 50, 60 kids at times, sometimes maybe just 20 or so. But we'll race them. After we race them, we stop and have a conversation. How can the robot that lost now win? What do we need to do to it? And they'll start coming up with different ideas, and I, I stop them then and say, okay, what you're saying right now, even if it's we'll take some things off and make it lighter, okay, that's friction, that's inertia, there's science in that. But even in what you're talking about, that is the very beginning, that's the kernel, the seed to ingenuity, which leads to innovation and invention, right, and, so, yes. and a career of engineering. Mm-hmm. So don't discredit yourself. Don't discount your young creativity, you have something to offer the world. I started in South Dallas and, and, you know, my mother worked uh, overtime at the post office morning and night. I had to live on a budget where I catch the city bus and a dollar for lunch, 50 cents for a snack till she got off work. I got tired of that. And so I started, I bought candy and went to school and started selling candy and I doubled my money. And by Friday I could buy pizza, which is what I really wanted. And so the next week, my mother didn't have to give me lunch money. Okay, that was the beginning of my ingenuity, mm-hmm. my business mind. Years later, you know, COVID-level, pandemic-level problems being solved. But it didn't start there. It started with a young kid who wanted some pizza. And so I impress upon these students, do not discount, do not discredit your ingenuity. I wasn't building solar robots at 11 years old. You are. Mm-hmm. You're already ahead of me. Right? That, that's the real key that we try to press upon the students. The technology and all that, I can teach you, I can teach you tech. What I can't teach you is um, passion and grit. And, and innovation. The things that, and imagination. Right? Exactly. Exactly. This those is, things those, those students have in them, and we just try to pull it out of them. Right? We light a fire in them. This is David Williams, David C. Williams, and he is an automation innovator. He's also an engineer. He's also a scientist. He's done all these different things, and he's working with kids. Now, a lot of parents have heard of STEM research at school. Can you explain what STEM is and what you're doing with that, with the knowledge and helping these kids out with STEM? Sure, sure. So STEM is science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, stay together instead of S-T-E-M. It's just STEM. And the focus there, the reason why people press upon it so much is because the way the world is going, no matter what industry you work in, whether you're a painter, whether you're a carpenter, whether you work in grocery or hospitality, everything has some technology integrated, embedded inside of it, right? Right. Um, you know, Alexa has our... Um, lights going on and off and you can talk to the to the machine or talk to the tv now um you know um, siri has the same thing you can talk to your phone um you can do online grocery shopping you can have uber deliver your food or carry you somewhere 
everything that we're doing in our world, it, we've been doing these things for years, but technology is starting to be embedded in it. And so, oh, let's say let's let's bring it down even closer for everybody can relate. Everything is in your phone now. Everything you do yeah. is in your phone, and if you lose your phone, your phone has a GPS, and you can find it. Correct. Right. You used to carry a calculator or an alarm clock if you traveled. You don't carry those things. They're on your phone. Mm-hmm. Right. And so um, what, what we try to do is to um, open student, young students' minds up to not only creativity, but also STEM, also technology. And we try to show them so that the, the first step that we offer them is solar science or solar energy. And we teach that to them, how photovoltaic cells work and the different wafers and the electrons going from one to the other and so forth. We have those conversations with them so that they can be introduced to STEM in a way that means something. Everybody has a connection to the sun, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and starting from there, that helps people to at least start to say, okay, well, that isn't unfamiliar. I'm familiar with the sun. This robot, I'm not. Well, let's talk about how this sun can power this robot. And let's talk about the things that happen inside it to make it happen. And then we build it so they get to see it from the inside out, literally. And so now it's not so intimidating, the topic, right? Right. And now the, their creativity is is they're open to sharing it because they see that even their small little idea may have a big outcome. It may help the robot win the race. Exactly. It's, it's, and it's so creative. And it's like you said, they, it paints the pictures and they can, they can touch it because they can see it because they, they've, they conceived it. And from a very young age, I, I just really like the way you you're making this accessible for kids. And, and, and one of the, go ahead. I, I got to add this one thing to Chris is one of the, beautiful piece about this is that we gift these solar robots to those students. Wow. So at the end of the session, at the end of the workshop, we give them the robots. It's like Christmas in the summer, right? That is um, so impressive. The schools that we go to, yeah, they, they use it as an incentive so that, you know, do good these, you know, next couple of weeks, you know, David and his team are coming to have this solar robot exercise and you want to be a part of it. You want to be selected. And so they use that as an incentive to get uh, more productivity from their students. And, and like you said, I, I just want to make this very clear to a lot of people who are listening. The kids help build these solar robots. They build them all by themselves, all by themselves. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So let's break down this program again. It's called Tech Mentor Tuesdays. This is what you're doing for the kids here. TMT. Yes, we do. And it's a once-a-month yes. program. Tell me, this breakdown, yes, for example, exactly. what you do once it's, a month. It's once a month. We will visit a school, a recreational center, an apartment complex. Doesn't matter. Um, after school facilities, we've been to all of the above. Um, once a month, we'll visit those um, facilities and we'll host a tech mentor workshop where the students have group exercises. They build these solar robots, but we also have really meaningful discussions about overcoming obstacles about ingenuity and innovation and about the importance of working together as a team. This is strong. And, and also I want to know if, do you ever return again, like a couple of months later to see if they've learned anything new or do they can't wait to meet you again to show you what they've done with these robots? 
it is lights, camera, action when we show up at those schools. They just it, they go crazy over it. So, yeah, there's there's a couple of schools that we uh, visited. Uh, we circled back to it. And when we did, uh, some of the same students that participated the first time were eager to participate again. Um, but then that caused a little angst because there's other students that want to participate and there's never enough room. But um, they love it. They absolutely love it. And their parents love it. You can see the, the engagement from the students. Um, there was a, I remember this one um, little girl, um, she was um, nine years old. And she was, um, you know, she, she is very protective of her brother, but she's also very shy, mm-hmm. kind of introverted. And by the end of that workshop, she was just as gleeful as you could imagine. I mean, she just totally opened up. And I loved it because, you know, we do these things. A lot of times we try to use sports or um, the Internet or, or, you know, candy or things to, um, to, to excite our children, our students. But this time it was STEM, and it was something that she was just really, really engaged in. And so I, I love those kinds of moments. That's the best part of it all. Oh, yeah, this is absolutely amazing. Now, I know you're doing this with underserved communities. Is there any ideas or thoughts to expanding it to other communities, or are you going to stick with the underserved communities? Because that's who needs to catch up, so to speak, since they don't have access to some of the STEM programs that may be regularly featured at some elementary schools and, and high schools. Yeah, so um, at this point, we're not turning anyone down, mm-hmm. um, but we are definitely focused on underserved communities. We'll be in, um, I think we'll be in Lancaster in April. Um, I'm, we'll also have um, one later this year in New Jersey, and I'm going to India to actually have a uh, tech mentor uh, Tuesday over there. Slow down. And Let me so, say this again. Y'all want you to say you're going to India, not Indiana. You're going to India, the country of India. Correct. On the other side of the earth. Now I've seen a YouTube where you were talking with somebody from India. So talk about how that happened. Yeah. So, um, you talked to another engineer, I was, right? <laughs> well, I was talking to an executive, um, that I partner with. I lead the largest, robotics process automation program, um, commonly known as bots or, auto, you know, different forms of automation. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's a partner that helped me to build uh, that world-class organization, that program. And um, that meeting was actually supposed to happen in Copenhagen, but uh, COVID got in the way. But yeah, I, um, I work with folks all over the world, uh, Israel, um, India, Mexico, um, and all around the United States as well, um, coming up with solutions to, to solve big corporate problems. Um, you know, the COVID thing was one. Uh, there's a number of solutions that my team and I create um, that drive hundreds of millions of dollars of savings or revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, we operate at a 3,000% ROI. That's just like oh, wow. higher than crypto, you know? Yeah. Oh, um, wait, 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 wait. You just, of- wait, hold on. You just said something. You see, you say these things real smooth. People need to hear this. A higher ROI than crypto. Oh, yeah. Return on investment for those yeah. who don't speak the language. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We get to that. That is so impressive. We a very tight ship. And, um, and, and the beautiful thing about that, Chris, is that my team um, is 
mostly comprised of people who do not have a traditional STEM or tech background. Wow. So think about this for a minute. We have the largest robotics process program in the world, complete over 70 million transactions a year. I think this year we'll hit 100 million. And most of the people on the team are not traditional STEM, traditional tech background kind of folks. Wow, they're just curious and innovative. Exactly, exactly. And so it doesn't matter where you start. It just, that what matters is not giving up, right? Yeah. Um, You know, a lot of the folks on my team, we live by a mantra of proactively going to go find something broken and fixing it. Mm -hmm. The more you do that, the better you get at fixing stuff and being a problem solver. The better you get at understanding the problem. And the better, and the more we collaborate, the better we as a team get at coming up with great solutions. So, in a way, the pandemic was a big problem for the world, and especially corporate world—not just corporate America, but the world corporations, the big ones. Correct. And you actually were able to solve a lot of their problems, which allowed you to go out on your own and thus create your entire organization. Yes. Yes. The um. You know, the pandemic was tough and, you know, God bless every one of us that can hear our voices today. We survived the pandemic, Um, but there were some bright spots, right? We learned, we all learned that we can order food and groceries without leaving the house, right? (laughs) That was one of the amazing things that came from the pandemic and more. And you can work from home. You can you could have a oh job. Your job might say, you know what? We'll let you work at home three or four times a week as opposed to every single day be in the office. Oh, Chris. Yeah, look, um, you, you may we may have to have a conversation in, a, in another month or two. I'm working on something pretty innovative right now, which is exactly that, which is to take the work from home model and and, and stand it on its head and really um, open that up um, across society in a in a more broad way. This is so impressive, and we will. We will because, again, we're talking about making an impact in North Texas. You're making a global impact, and, you've, like I said, you grew up right here in South Dallas. So this is what's so impressive about what you're doing. But more importantly, not only are you doing things in helping major businesses and corporations solve problems, and small businesses too, but you're helping kids grow into the new age, the the world of technology, and these solar robots, I mean – when do you sleep? <laughs> you know, um, it's almost like, let me put it like this. It's almost like when people say, well, how did Mark Cuban get started? Well, you have to start somewhere, right? That's right. That's right. Um, my God will give rest. Uh, he doesn't care too much about my sleep. <laughs> <laughs> you get these um, ideas and all of a sudden you're getting up in the middle of the night and you're putting things down on the tablet, right? You'd be surprised. Yes, sir. So uh, before we get out of here, Tech Mentor Tuesdays, that's TMT, is there a website or some way that people might want to partner with you on this or some way where some of the uh, community centers or schools who are underserved can reach out and use some of your resources? Absolutely. So um, I do have a website, and you can get there really easy by just going to dcwtmt.com. Uh, okay, let me say D-C-W-T-M-T. that again. It's dcwtmt.com. 
tmt.com. That's correct. That'll take you right to our Tech Mentor Tuesday um, page, and you can find out any information there, contact information as well. You can see pictures of um, some of the sessions and workshops that we've had, and we've had some really good ones. We had some politicians come out and support external affairs. We had um, Bianca McCall, who's a former uh, professional uh, basketball player, come out. Um, We've had some amazing opportunities. Let me tell you something. The website speaks for itself. If you ever get a chance to even just look at it, you'd probably be impressed. And again, no one should be, no one should not be impressed based upon what you just told me already. I mean, you've really got a vision. You're doing so many great things, and I appreciate the time. I, I cannot thank you enough. And yes, we will check back in with you because you are making that impact, David. Thanks so much. Thank you, Chris. Really appreciate it. That's David C. Williams. I'm Chris Arnold of 105.3 The Fan. Thank you for joining me. Tune in next week as we focus on other organizations and people having tremendous impacts right here in our community on better living. So long, everybody. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.